0: Good morning. We welcome you to Laurel Heights, especially our visitors, and our hope is that you will be able to come back and that that's exactly what you will want to do. We offer teaching and preaching from the text of Scripture. It is our steadfast purpose to follow the instructions God has given in His Word. We're so glad to have you with us this morning. The thought has occurred to me many times, usually during during our song services, that many of our cherished and well-known hymns have the same essential theme, the death of Christ. I can list a number that you would be immediately familiar with, perhaps. At the cross, beneath the cross of Jesus nailed to the cross, the old rugged cross, the way of the cross leads home. When I survey the wondrous cross, and we have finished a few moments ago, near the cross. Well, I believe this is all understandable. That we sing about the death of Christ. It is the basis of our present relationship with God. It is the hope of our eternal entrance into heaven. So, of course, we're going to sing with joy about the death of Christ for us. Because he suffered and died, we can be forgiven. We can become God's people. We can go to heaven. No wonder we sing about it, and we sing about him. Romans chapter 6 says that we were buried with Christ in baptism. And it says baptized into the death of Christ to walk in newness of life. So we should preach about the cross on a regular basis. The truth of what he did for us is central to our faith and should ever be kept before us. Do you realize the death of Christ is the most tragic event in the history of the human race, yet the most wonderful thing that ever happened for our good. It was the saddest spectacle men ever beheld or read about. Yet out of that death comes the potential for man's greatest good. It is called the good news. And it was Satan's greatest victory... That became his greatest defeat. It might be argued it was the darkest hour in the history of the world, yet it was the greatest light of hope for us. And from the day of Pentecost until now, brethren have gathered together on Sundays like this. Sometimes in homes or a church house or a clearing out in the jungle, a rented storefront or out by river to remember the death of Christ. This morning, there are three things I want to say about the death of Christ. It is a theme that is being pursued In the children's classes during this quarter. Number one, his death was an expression of man's hatred but God's love. If you ever need an example or illustration of human malice and hatred and abhorrence, what happened to Jesus in his suffering and death illustrates the worst in human hatred. And this is not a matter of suspecting that hate might have played a role in it. This is not one of those cases where you have information and you put the information together and eventually you arrive at that conclusion. We are specifically told that they killed him because they hated him. Jesus tells us in John 7, verse 7, the world hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. He said in John 15, 18, If the world hates me, you know that it hated me before it hated you. In John 15 and verse 24, they have seen and also hated both me and And the Father. Now, this hatred men had against Jesus was not passive or dormant. They sought to kill him, the perfectly innocent Son of God. Matthew 26, 4 says, They plotted how they might take him by force and kill him. And when Jesus was talking about these things in Matthew, I'm sorry, in John chapter 5. The Pharisees' tradition in respect to the Sabbath came up. And Jesus said, they sought to kill me. This is John 5, 16 to 18. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now he did not break God's law of the Sabbath. He broke the traditions men had developed. And because he broke their traditions, they sought to kill him. And would you consider for a moment the tactics these men used in their campaign to murder him? False testimony, Matthew 26, 59. Violence and insults, Matthew 26, 66 and 67. Plots and conspiracy, trickery, all this hate, all this violence. And they had no cause. They had no case. There was no evidence he was guilty of anything. Acts 13, 28 says, They found no cause for death in him. So, the death of Christ stands out in the history of men as the singular expression of man's hatred. Man's hatred toward that which is good and pure and right and the only solution to human problems. They hated him, Acts 2.23 says, lawless men murdered him. But while his death was an expression of human hatred without comparison in history, His death also stands out in our minds the greatest expression of God's love for undeserving man. What a message. What a paradox that is loaded with meaning. The same event that expressed man's hatred expressed God's love. And so in Romans 5, 6 to 8, When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here is an event in history. The cross expressing supremely man's hatred, but also expressing Christ's love and God's love and their devotion to our good. It has no earthly parallel. The death of Christ. It was because of human weakness, but it displayed divine strength. Would you consider the history of the human race before the cross of Christ? Think back over the whole course of man's existence before the cross. Typically, what has man's response been through time to God and His law? I mean, what do people usually do when they are confronted with the challenge of building a relationship with the Creator by obeying His will? I don't think any of you have to think very much about your answer, do you? When you start with Adam and Eve, and you trace the history of man's response to God and God's law through time, up to the day of Jesus' death... There is a verdict, and it is well expressed by the Apostle Paul in Romans three twenty three: All have sinned and do fall short of the glory of God. Now, when Jesus came, he was born into a world where sin ruled. There were notable exceptions of people with good strength of character and purity of heart, his parents, his cousin, people like Zacharias and Simeon and a few others. But the world Jesus came into was ruled by sin. The rulers, the religious institutions, the common people, people from every economic class, sin. And this is why John said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And John said Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. Sin. The problem Jesus came to deal with was everywhere in the world he came into. Human weakness in the form of sin prevailed and ruled and manifested itself in every kind of misbehavior you could imagine. We read in Romans 5 and verse 6 a moment ago, when we were still without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus died on the cross for sin. Hence, His death was because of human weakness in the form of sin. Yet, His death displayed divine strength. God's power was manifested there on that cross. As Jesus walked to his own death, as he bore that cross, as he went through the torture and the ridicule, as he submitted his body to the pain and his heart to the emotions of such a cruel death, to go through all of that knowing that he was innocent, God's power was there divine strength displayed on the cross because of human weakness no wonder it says of jesus as a boy the child grew and became strong in spirit filled with wisdom and the grace of god was upon him the angels of heaven praise jesus with these words in revelation 5 in verse 12 Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The death of Christ happened because of the weakness of humans. But in that death we are able to observe strength and honor and glory right out of heaven. It was the taking of one life... In order to offer life to all. In order to understand the biblical concept of atonement, I believe you have to begin with this fundamental. God is holy. And this is well stated by the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk one thirteen, where he said to God, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong." This is a simple but vital truth about God we need to know in order to understand the concept of atonement. God is absolutely pure. He is perfect, sinless, holy. Therefore, sin cannot just be ignored or disregarded. This is set forth in a very clear manner in Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on His foes and maintains wrath against His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, but He will not leave the guilty unpunished. See, God is holy. He cannot leave the guilty unpunished. Now, factor into this the concept made vivid in the Old Testament of substitutionary satisfaction. There we discover a system of sacrifices punctuated by the annual Israelite observance of the Day of Atonement which focused specifically on the problem of sin and its solution. In the New Testament God sent his son to be the chosen lamb, the perfect sin offering which accomplished at least three basic things. One, he provided a ransom or redemption price, paying the debt that man could not pay. Two, he became the substitute victim who suffered vicariously on man's behalf. And third, he willingly and lovingly died in such a cruel and heart-rending fashion that the event and the person becomes a motivation for the tender heart to turn to God and love Him in return. So God is holy. Sin cannot be ignored The Bible teaches this divine plan of sacrifice and satisfaction by a substitute. And Jesus was the pure chosen Lamb. His life was given. He died for us. And in 1 Peter 3.18, this is so well described. Listen, please. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once... For sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Christ suffered for sins. Not his, he had none. He suffered and died for our sins. This is what Paul affirms in the passage Our brother read to us earlier. He died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15.3 Now, it is important to observe this phrase in 1 Peter 3.18 The just for the unjust. Here is the idea of substitution. The just and perfect Jesus died for the unjust sinners for us now why it says that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit so here's what it all comes down to and maybe what it should come down to for some who are in this audience when we respond to this good news about the cross When our faith moves us to act and obey Him in repentance and baptism, we are raised from the death of sin to spiritual life with God. Paul wrote to people who had obeyed the gospel, and this is what he said in Ephesians 2 and verse 1. You, He made alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then in Romans 6, he put it this way. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He gave His life that we might have life, spiritual life with God now, and life eternal after death. The cross, the death of Christ, an expression of man's hatred, but God's love. It was because of human weakness in the form of sin, but his death displayed the almighty strength and power of God. It was the taking of one life in order to offer life to all men. Paul said, Second Timothy 1.10, he abolished death And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Well, what are the practical implications for us? We should keep his death central in our study, our thinking, our worship. The Lord's Supper has this purpose. We should love Him who loved us. We should live our lives for Him who gave His life. Obey Him. We should be alert to the sin and error and human weakness that made the cross necessary. And we should know that what the world has to offer loses its appeal altogether when you consider the wonderful story of the gospel. And here's how we sometimes summarize these basic truths. If you've heard this about the cross, who Jesus is and what he did, and you believe in Christ, and you're willing to walk out of sin in repentance, confessing your faith into the water of baptism, To arise to walk in newness of life, why not now as we stand together to sing?